I am encouraged by kids in school nowadays. There's a lot of kids, we hear about the bad stuff, but there's a lot of kids that really want to make a difference. They really do. You know, and my father's, the way he made a difference, he got he went into the army and fought in the Second World War. I mean, that was their contribution. Hopefully we don't have that. But there's a lot of kids that are looking, and kids, I mean, people 25 and under, really. I mean, they're, pardon me for calling you a kid, but uh, there's a lot of people out there looking for something different in their life. They want to make a difference. And we are, you know, you're not going to be the wealthiest person in the world, but we pay competitive wages. And, you know, if I hire an accountant tomorrow, I've got to pay a reasonable amount or nobody going to come. So it's, um, there are ways out there to help and it's worth exploring. I mean, I never thought I'd be sitting in this chair ever, but 22 years of this at Life Care Alliance. And I can't, I am so honored and privileged to do this job every day. And I'm just like, I work very hard at it because I don't want to mess it up. We are looking forward our way from Studio C in the 511 Studios in the Brewery District. That's just south of downtown Columbus, Ohio. Hi, this is Brett. One issue Carol and I have wanted to cover is the challenge of food insecurity, particularly with older adults, uh, but truly, really, with, with all families in central Ohio. Brett, you, many of us have never had a hungry day in our lives, yet so many in our community were in dire situations even before the pandemic and now are on the verge of disasters. Nearly one million people live in the city of Columbus, which has an 18% poverty rate. It's 170,000 people just in our city. So let's welcome Chuck Gehring, who is the CEO and president of Life Care Alliance, as our guest today. Chuck is going to help us unpack this information and see where we are headed on these critical issues. Hello. Hey. Thanks for having me. Yes. You know, we've got a lot to talk about today, but I think it would uh, behoove us to hear a little bit more about you and your journey at Life Care Alliance. Well, I've uh, been the CEO of Life Care Alliance for 22 years this month, and uh mm-hmm. Uh, it's Congratulations. But yeah. I, well, yeah, they haven't fired me yet, so that's a good thing. Uh, but I started out, I, I spent 20-plus years in for-profit. I was with, um, I, I was an accounting undergrad at the Ohio State University. Go Bucks. And um, started in public accounting briefly and then spent the decade of the 80s, or actually the decade of the 2000s because I'm only 29 years old. But anyway, <laughs> decade of the 80s with Anheuser-Busch. Oh, finance and operations, and then with a food service company for much of the 90s. But you know what happened? I was the person they sent oftentimes to talk to some of the nonprofits. I was not the philanthropy person. We didn't have one of those. But they'd go and say, hey, find out what they need and what they want. And I I was put on a lot of boards, especially at Anheuser. It was important that we were in the community because of the product we made. And uh, I got to know the nonprofit community, and it was really interesting to me. And so 22 years ago, here I am. Hmm. I got here, and here I am. So uh, uh, I did uh, go almost out of state to Xavier for an MBA, but uh, I've been here. I grew up on the west side. I'm a hilltopper, and um, so I've been here a long time. 
and some uh, incredible and, people and, on the hilltop yeah. who've done a lot for our city. Yeah, and I love it here, so I don't know that I need to live anyplace else. Wonderful. And, and that amazing where your career path will take you. You don't even you know you go to school for one thing, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, somebody will tell you, but you know what? In the two thousands, you're going to yeah. be at a nonprofit doing this. You go, no, that's what I'm going to school for. That's Isn't right. Amazing. That's right. And I never thought of that because I was just trying to get up as high as I could at Anheuser Busch in the eighties, mm-hmm. and. We were prepared to move. I probably, it was really dumb luck that I was not shipped off someplace. I got promoted a couple of times right in Columbus, which was a real oddity for Anheuser. My mm-hmm. boss, who hired me, who I still talk to and love, uh, moved 13 times. Mm. And uh, But during the, the time I had at Anheuser, we had four little kids. And um, so we thought, oh, well, we better think about this a little bit. Wonder. So, so, and you know, yeah. not too many people admit to being Columbusites, being born and uh, bred in Franklin County. Oh, I was, I was born and bred on the hilltop, and uh, I just think it's a wonderful place. Mm-hmm. Hilltops changed a little bit, and it's funny because after all that for-profit experience, you roam around, you're everywhere, and you come back down. I went down because somebody said you need to go down and interview with these people, Garing, and I went down Life Care Alliance, and I said, this is where I used to ride my bike mm-hmm. as a kid. <laughs> right. And right. it was just, I thought this was going to be, I said, this is dumb. I'm not coming down here. <laughs> but then, you know what happened? My parents both ended up with a form of dementia, and um, they were about a mile away from the office. And that was kind of a godsend Mm -hmm. for many years because I was able to run over and take them out after work or help them out or whatever it was. And we went through uh, many, almost a decade of horrendous stuff with them. And then I had to move them. And so you're put, I'm kind of a a person that believes in fate and Mm -hmm. you end up where you're supposed to end up. Absolutely. And I think I've ended up where I'm supposed to end up. Absolutely. I I grew up in Linden. Mm -hmm. And uh, when the Linden Park was renovated, Got a chance to go to a meeting there, and I was just walking around going, this is pretty cool. You know, I used to play tennis here and, you know, mm-hmm. basketball over there. Yeah. And yeah. Well, it, and a lot of people don't like that, but I think it's great. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's good. My kids grew up here and stuff and uh, instead of some faraway place. And um, this is a wonderful community. It, it really is. is. And it's, uh, um, they're just so generous and it's the place to be and a lot of good things get done here. Well, yeah. and a lot of good people like you, Chuck, who are doing great things for our community. So kudos uh, to you, you, and, you and congratulations on your 22 years. We're yeah. glad you're celebrating with us today. Good. Same to you, Carol. You've done a lot of good stuff here too. We Well, we've had fun doing it too. So um, so let's, I guess we're going to move on here mm-hmm. after our, our patting each other on the back. <laughs> we Columbusites who do that well. Um, so Chuck, in 2020, the state of Ohio published the Poverty Report, stating that Ohio had a 13.9% poverty rate. That's a million and a half people. Franklin County is not only higher in percentage than the rest of the state, but also nationally, which is only 13.1%. Unfortunately, Columbus has had a large population of those in need for decades. Life Care Alliance has been a major factor in our community since 1898. Now, you weren't there when it started, not no, that long no, ago. No, smart Alec. But. <laughs> I, know, I just had to put that in there. Um, so tell us more about the history of Life Care Alliance, its mission, and the individuals who met those challenges of poverty so long ago. Well, I tell you that, uh, first of all, I think the poverty percentage that you just quoted, which I understand is the percentage I think is low. Probably. um, Because it's how you look at poverty. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are numbers, but there's a lot of people who just struggle from day to day. 
uh, with food insecurities and just being able to pay. We see them all the time. We pay a lot of rents and utilities at our place. And it's, um, it's, it's the stories and people think, oh, well, why aren't they paying their bills and things like that? These people are doing the best they can. Mm-hmm. And it really is. And we're, we're just creating this circle of problems sometimes because, you know, when the child in the household gets into seventh and eighth grade, there's no parent that can do the math homework with them or anything mm-hmm. like that. And it just, it just makes it a very difficult situation. And we still have, this is a high end city. This is, you know, we've always said, cause it's a state capital, there's great employment. You have the major university here um, and things like that. Uh, but there's still a lot of people who are making under $15 an hour. Right. And I don't know, even with two people earning 15 bucks an hour, how you do very well with that. Um, but Life Care Alliance goes back to 1898. We're 125 years old this year, and this is the 50th anniversary also of the Meals on Wheels program with us. Uh, so it's a big year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would tell you that uh, uh, we were founded by a woman named Catherine Nelson Black, who went by Carrie. And in 1897 and eight, she went on a train to Chicago and Philadelphia to look at a new thing called the district nursing office. There were no health departments in those days. And Carol, you know, in 1898, could you vote as a woman? No. No. (laughs) And she's out founding agencies. So she came back and said, we got to do something about this. There's too many people um, using hospital emergency rooms as waiting rooms and for colds and things they didn't know about. And there was no in-home care. And we just didn't have the nursing homes and these beautiful senior, you know, independent living facilities we have today. So it was, what can we do about this? And she founded Life Care Alliance to take care of those, as she said, nobody else pays any attention to back in 1898. But the design was to do nursing and in-home care in the streets and in the homes to keep you out of a hospital and keep you happy and healthy where you wanted to live. And we're still doing that today. Isn't that amazing? Mm. We're still doing that today. And I try to follow that. We've got the original minutes book, and I try to follow her guidance all the time as to what did they want. And I know things change and things have to be updated and you get into new situations and things like that. But uh, um, she was amazing. She went on in 1906 to file the Tuberculosis Society, which was the disease of the day now called Central Ohio Breathing Association or COBA. And then in 1921, she founded uh, the first free cancer clinic in the country uh, called the Columbus Cancer Clinic. And that was independent from 1921 to 2005, at which time it merged into us. And right. we took it because our clients needed their services, not uh, because of Carrie necessarily, but she was a driving force in all this stuff. And uh, we just felt like we had to help out. And we have, that is now, the Columbus Cancer Clinic is now the last free cancer clinic in the state of Ohio and for all states touching Ohio. Think That's through that one. And the reason is, of course, money. And uh, we're blessed to be able to carry it on and some other partnerships that we have. Uh, we took on Central Ohio Diabetes in 2017. We took on Diabetes Dayton in 20. We can talk about other things. Project Open Hand back in 04, which is basically Meals on Wheels for people with HIV and AIDS, which is a big thing in Columbus, mm-hmm. Ohio. So we serve seniors and medically challenged through nutrition and health care. That's what we say about ourselves. And, mm-hmm. and a medically challenged person is somebody who's under senior age, which is 60 to the feds, mm-hmm. and, but they have a medical challenge that causes them to assess out as in needing these services as a older person might. Okay. You know, it's amazing that she went to Chicago to get information on this nursing group. Um, as a sociology major at, at um, Otterbein and Ohio State, we, ta- we talked a lot about Hull House. 
in mm-hmm. uh, Chicago, which was the first settlement house. Mm-hmm. And Columbus had a wonderful settlement house grouping here, which we've lost a few over time, but we still yeah. have some. have have St. Stephen's and some others that yeah. ha- are doing a great job in the community. Yep, mm. absolutely. So at least we went and learned our lessons yeah. with what was working in other cities. And I will say that Carrie um, happened to be married in 1898 to the mayor. My name is Sam Black, but she did all this on her own. And Sam actually was the person that created the juvenile justice system here in town. He was an attorney and a lawyer and didn't want to be mayor, but they needed somebody. So he became mayor for two years, which was their term limits. But what a little power couple they were. Right. <laughs> and uh, so we have an awful lot of – somebody had a lot of brains at our place and threw th- things into boxes, history. Mm-hmm. And we've got a lot of great pictures, a lot of great history. Uh, Ohio History Connection has some of our stuff, but uh, we're very fortunate and we – play off that all the time because it's been quite a little ride. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, um, Life Carolines has changed dramatically over the last 120 years, of course, but mm-hmm. the, you know, mission stayed the same. What's changed over the years in programs and services and, well, ultimately what's happening in our community that prevents us from fixing the, those situations? Yeah. Well, um, I don't know that they're ever going to be totally fixed. Yeah. I, you know, when I hear somebody say, we're going to cure hunger, we're going to cure homelessness, I think those are great aspirational goals. It, it's We're going to be gone before that happens, probably, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just because of volume and mm-hmm. uh, other issues all around the country. And again, in central Ohio, we're probably much better off than many communities. We're significantly ahead. But in the last 125 years, what's changed is that we were the nursing group. We were the health department until 1950. And then the government said we need a health department. And uh, they did that. And we acted as that, and but we were a nursing group. And then uh, when the Older Americans Act came out in the 60s under Lyndon Johnson, uh, that that came out with this pilot program, the idea that, well, oh, we could take a meal into somebody's house because every study ever done, still to this day, says the way you stay independent in your own home is by proper nutrition. That's number one. Now, exercise is catching up. Mm-hmm. And there's some other things that are up there, too. Uh, but uh, nutrition's number one. So they tried this pilot program 50 years ago with Philadelphia and us, and uh, we've had that ever since. But in the past 22 years since I've been there, which is what I know best because I've been there, uh, you know, one of the big trends in nonprofits is if you merge agencies, you can get more services to more people at less cost because think about it. There's only one of me being paid. There's only one accounting department, one human resource department, one uh, copy machine, et cetera, et cetera. And you can pack everybody into a building together. So we've taken on a number of other agencies. We've taken on four other meals counties. Uh, we're one of the few in the country with more than one county. And we're probably with COVID now, coming out of COVID, we may be the largest nonprofit based on number of home-delivered meals in the country, mm-hmm. believe it or not, for Meals on Wheels. But we've added uh, this healthcare side of the business, which we knew people needed. So we've added the Columbus Cancer Clinic, which does not cure cancer, doesn't operate on anybody, but helps people through. We've added two diabetic service organizations. We've added an AIDS organization. And last year, we went to arthritis because there's many of the national organizations that have a disease in their name that are going all research all the time mm-hmm. because you can't lose money. You know, it comes in, you research, and they want to cure it. Great, be my guest, but who's helping you through? So we were asked by some people here in town to take on arthritis services too. And I would tell you the number one diagnosis amongst our almost 30,000 clients in our database is diabetes. Number two is arthritis because we have diagnosis for people. 
And I would tell you that it's just a, a, a tough thing to get through. So we took that on and we do other things. And then we do social enterprise, which is we have a catering company and, a, and we do corporate wellness for people just to make money so we can stay in business because um, we have to do that. And uh, we've done other things over the years that have, we think, have really gotten a lot more services to a lot more people. And they're really, I know this is me talking, so you're listening to me, Gehring, running Life Care Alliance, but there is nothing like Life Care Alliance with all these services uh, packed together in one place anywhere in the United States. And that has been proven. And I will tell you, the feds are actually studying us right now. The federal government folks from the community living offices, which is the old Department of Aging, are mm -hmm. actually studying us with, and they're getting information out that this, this logic works. So let's share it. Mm -hmm. And we've always shared, but uh, they're trying to formalize it more so that more people can get out there. Unfortunately, on the meal side, um, we are probably... Um, through COVID now, the only, we went up 68% when COVID hit in 2020, March mm -hmm. of 2020, in home-delivered meals. Think through that in your business. You suddenly had 68% more uh, with, product. With a quarter of the number of um, yeah. staff and volunteers yeah. to do the work. Yeah, and then uh, we're currently up 75% three years later. So it, it hasn't gone down. It's gone up because they found more people that suddenly lost supports or whatever mm -hmm. during COVID. I mean, it's just a tough time. People just don't have money right now. And, uh, you know, the prices have gone up tremendously. Mm -hmm. So they've always struggled between, to your question, Brett, you know, do I buy my medicine this month? Do I eat? Yeah. Yeah, so you're going to eat first, right? And then you're going to buy medicine. And then, uh, but a lot of times they don't know, and, and they don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. So um, they don't know that there are all these cool uh, prescription pricing programs out there like right. good rx and those things or that how medicare works and they're afraid to call the doctor because they know there's a deductible with medicare mm -hmm. so we become the primary caregivers for most of these folks but um but i would tell you we're probably the only ones to get back to my original point here uh, with covid where it is now we are probably the only ones um with very few exceptions in the country with no waiting lists for meals and I would mm. tell you, if you're in Cincinnati, Toledo, or Cleveland today, you've probably got a minimum of 1,500 people ahead of you to get a meal. And 25% of our new clients are coming out of the hospital. So, Brett or Carol, you go to the hospital, have your gallbladder taken out. They send you home four days later, assuming you had to stay a little longer. You had a heart attack or <clears> cancer. <throat> you can stay in the James for a couple of months without even trying too hard to be cured from cancer. And they do a great job with that. We have great hospital system here. It's unbelievable, really. And, uh, but you come home and there's nothing. Right. So what do you eat? So you eat crackers and you go back into the hospital and the hospitals don't get paid the second time. Cause you know, if you go back into a hospital, a lot of people don't know this. If you go back into the hospital for the same diagnosis and within a certain period of time and you're on Medicare or Medicaid, the hospital doesn't get paid anywhere near what they need to be paid. So they don't want you to come back, but they've got to help you. And so our job is to get you home and then get there. So we start generally meal service within 24 hours the next day. So they, the hospitals know to call us today and say, hey, Carol is going home tomorrow. She had a heart attack. She's been here for a week and a half. We're sending her home tomorrow, but she needs help. She has no help. We will uh, accept you generally and you um, at no cost. Most of the people don't pay anything for our stuff our services. And we will show up the next day when you get home from the hospital and we'll have good nutritious food for you and you're off and running. Uh, Chuck, I know before pa the pandemic, you, you always told us there was no waiting list. 
I'm I'm I just have to give you another pat on the back to not have a waiting list now. Yeah, given well, all of the issues that we've had to deal with yeah, over the past three years. We're very proud of that. Oh my gosh, yes. Now I would tell you the agency lost a million dollars last year too. But yeah, uh, yeah. we're able to take care of that because of other years. But uh uh, when you take, you know, as I tell the board, I can dial the bottom line pretty much at this point in my life and being an old finance guy. But um, the way you do it is you drop clients. Mm. We don't make it up on volume. I mean, you have to – you have left clients. And so there are some people – I had another city in the country tell me not too long ago, well, we don't have waiting lists. So we started comparing. And I said, that's great. I'm so thrilled you don't have waiting lists. Well, we found out that their threshold for taking you – was a whole lot different than our threshold. right? And so what some have done in the country out of need again, and I'm not being negative to these folks, but out of need, they've jacked up what the requirements are. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. What happens is the way you get, everybody thinks you get like meals on wheels based on your income. Wrong. You can be the wealthiest person in central Ohio. Uh, We're happy to give you meals. Uh, you just we just might ask you to help pay for them. About two percent of our clients pay. The way you qualify for all these services, generally, especially the Older Americans Act type of services, are being assessed, mm-hmm. and it's called activities of daily living, which is an old assessment tool developed up in Cleve at Case Western. Believe it or not, mm-hmm. the '50s still used throughout the country, and they look at things. You know, the first level is like, okay, can you drive? Can you cook for yourself? Can you get to the store? Can you uh, physically? bathe yourself? Can you get dressed in the morning? It it, it keeps drilling down. It can. It depends what level you use. But then it gets into things like, well, can you transfer from a bed to a chair, a wheelchair? Mm -hmm. You know, things like that. And if you can't do that stuff and you don't have people helping you, then you qualify. Mm -hmm. And that's how you get the, uh, and we're a city also, we're very proud of the fact here that we're one of the very, very few places in the country that takes people under senior age, under age 60. But, you know, like we've got – I've got a veteran on the west side who's quadriplegic. He got shot in the neck while he was in the military. You know, we're taking care – he lives on his own, takes care of it, but he needs our meals. He needs a nurse to show up once in a while. But we're, how much money does that save Yeah. Right. versus yeah. Right. him going to a nursing home that's full anyway and – you know, Medicaid's going to have to pay for. So we save a lot of tax dollars also. So we actually have a bonus in our services is that we save the Medicaid dollars that we're going to be spent on assisted living or nursing home care, which in central Ohio right now, ARP tells us, this isn't even my number, ARP says is 89,000 on average a year for one person. And that's pretty true for a lot of nursing home and assisted living care. And they have their place. My mom died in a nursing home. I'm not Nursing homes are great if you when you get and she had horrendous Alzheimer's had was tied into a wheelchair had no idea who I was and uh, you know it's it's unfortunate I sure didn't want her to die there but I mean we would have literally kept her in our house watching her twenty four hours a day because hmm. she would have just fallen over I mean it was she was a vegetable pretty much and uh, uh, so there's a place for those those homes and things but a lot of people can stay in their own home with a little help. Right, Mm -hmm. exactly. And so this goes to my next question. I get very frustrated when I hear folks say, well, can't they just go out and get a job? You know, when you're talking about your client base and all the people you're taking care of, these are not folks who can just go out and get a job or who can afford to pay for caregivers or or catered meals or, or open, what is that? What's the group that, 
Grubhub. Yeah, whatever um, it is, yeah. But yeah. And, and it's not that they didn't take care of themselves for a, decades, and it's not that they didn't save, but there are limits on what an individual can take on cost-wise. Yeah. Well, uh, 70% of our clients, I hate to throw all these stats at you folks listening to this, but it'll give you a little more perspective. Yeah. Seventy, We do a lot of research with our clients. We have to. And 70% of them live on under $1,200 a month income, which is mm -hmm. a Social Security check right. that they earned when they worked 20 to 30 years prior to this. Exactly. I mean, think about it. Even if you go back to uh, a basket, we got the NBA finals and, and the pro football and all that. And they say, well, 20 years ago when I played, I only made $200,000 a year versus what they're making nowadays. Well, it's the same deal. Mm -hmm. uh, the social security checks just haven't, they can't keep up. So they're doing the best they can, but think about 1200 a month. Mm -hmm. And we're getting into summer when um, you've got air conditioning bills, or maybe you don't have have air conditioning bills because you can't turn your can't afford to turn it on. That's why we have our fan campaign every mm -hmm. summer, collect fans for people. We do that too. But twelve hundred dollars a month just doesn't, you know. Try living on it. And mm -hmm. I tell people, you know, pick a ninety degree day, and open your windows and turn your air off and spend the day in your house. Mm -hmm. See how that works for you. Mm -hmm. And think about doing that for five months, which is really what we're talking about here, because this goes into October. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if it's 75 outside, it can get pretty hot in a lot of these houses, and there's no circulation and stuff. And then, okay, can I afford, what can I buy on $1,200 a month for myself? And the problem is a lot of these folks, if you have a family and you have kids or grandkids who are taking care of you, that's wonderful. That's the way it's supposed to work. But a lot of people just don't. Sometimes they've outlived them. They live in other cities. There, there's, you know, problems there. Grandma, give me money, you know, type of thing. And, um, and as to your point, Carol, they would work if they could. Mm -hmm. And I would tell you in our dining centers, which are part of the meals program that we have in towers and things where seniors live, medically challenged people live, we employ as the coordinator there one of the clients. Now, it's not a lot of money, but they love it because they're, they're valuable Exactly. And they're, they're doing the meal orders every day and they're walking around the building meeting people and they're saying, hey, you ought to come to our dining center. We'll play bingo or we have shows and all kinds of good stuff. And um, so we they want to work. And I, I, I would tell you some of the younger people out there that we're serving who have severe chronic illnesses, I mean severe stuff, uh, they want to work, but sometimes they can't. Mm -hmm. They just can't or they can't get that job. Uh, but you are seeing, I think, in the last several years, last decade especially, you see a lot of seniors working at Kroger and Lowe's and oh, yeah. all mm -hmm. these other Hope Depot and stuff uh, because a lot of times they just want to do it. Well, oh, absolutely. But, but and that, and also, we would see that in our office. But they also need the money. Yeah. And yeah. you know it because you ran we employment for seniors all those years. And um, people want to work. But, but, you know, sometimes when the pain is just too much – and COVID really incapacitated people. I mean, if you had a, a chronic illness like a diabetes or a cancer, you go out into the community and you get COVID, you might have at the least been in the hospital. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you going to take that chance and it just isn't going to happen. And so to your point, Brett, earlier, you know, why are we still struggling with this? Well, you know, it's what it is. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that were good, solid people like my parents who worked hard all their lives, 
but then have a, a small a Social Security check. That's what they got, and some savings, and they're doing the best they can. Yeah. But when you can't physically, and do we want everybody out driving around to the stores when they're, and I'm not saying you can't, because there's plenty of 90-year-olds that are better drivers than me probably <laughs> and us, but uh, like my mother-in-law, who's 91, she can. she's fast. She needs to be studied. She's so good. <laughs> She's amazing. What a conversationalist. You, you got to make around. sure she listens to this podcast. She, she's pheno- <laughs> well, I tell her this all the time. She's phenomenal, but she's the exception, not the rule. Right. And, um, <laughs> you know, we're still dealing with a generation of 80 and 90-year-old people who smoked, mm-hmm. who were um, Vietnam vets. Uh, you know, my neighbors got Agent Orange and, you know, right. you know, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not trying to blame the military or anything here. I'm just telling you what's going on. So why it hasn't been fixed is – and the number of seniors and elderly is 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 the fastest growing group in Ohio. Right. And now it's got the biggest group in Ohio. Mm-hmm. So it's well, getting attention because they're the people voting. And I can tell you, we help our people sign up. We don't tell them who to vote for. We just say, hey, read – you know, and, and online to some of these folks is, is a, another story. They don't have online, but um, they don't have the cell phones and all the cool stuff that we have sometimes, but they can watch television. All our clients watch TV, and they can educate themselves, and they vote. And, um, you know, so I think we're going to continue to see increased focus from our elected officials. I'm anxious to see this next presidential campaign, especially since the Democratic uh, runner is going to be 82 years old right. uh, almost when he's running on this focus on, well, you know, we're, we're educated too, and we're going to vote. Yeah. So it's interesting. And this is um, what's scary. And I think why it's important that we have this conversation with you today on meals on wheels and the services for seniors is that this population is growing. And um, the the statistic I always use from the Scripps Gerontology Program at Miami is that in another 10 years, um, our population in every county but two will be um, at least 20% over 60. And so if you've got 20, 25% over 60 and 20, 25% under 18, there aren't a lot of people who are going to be able to drive the economy. And, and that's the way it is across the country. Right. And right. if you have seniors who have discretionary income or discretionary savings, then they will help drive the economy. But you're just going to have a lot more people who are on this. Right. The other thing that happened over the past many, many years, uh, when Pat T. Berry was a U.S. congressman, he now runs the Ohio Business Roundtable, he gave me a graph years ago. And he says, Gehring, we love you. We'd love to give you more money, but here's the reality of the situation. And basically he had little Pac-Men, remember Pac-Man, mm-hmm. little Pac-Men on this graphic. And it said, you know, the federal budget has a discretionary portion and a non-discretionary portion. Mm-hmm. The non-discretionary portion is the mandated stuff like got to pay social security, got to pay veterans benefits, Medicare, Medicaid, that kind of stuff. And the discretionary part of the budget is often the Department of Defense and everything else, okay? And around 1975, the discretionary part of the budget was the vast majority. It was it was 75% of the budget. Mm-hmm. That has flipped. Mm. And the bottom line, is, as Pat used to tell, Congressman T. Berry used to tell me, um, is that as we saw this Pac-Man, he, it just keeps eating up the discretionary mm-hmm. part. And now the discretion, and if you do your taxes and you get a, Go online to irs.gov, look at the tax, the 1040 
um, instruction booklet. The last couple of pages actually has pie charts on how the revenue comes into the government and how it gets spent. And if you compare that back, which we have done, um, there's just no discretionary – the discretionary part of the budget is just shrunk, shrunk, shrunk. And it just isn't there. So for us to keep getting funding is becomes difficult. And we've mm-hmm. seen – we've given no government money back over the years. We like our friends in the government. We're about 40 percent government funded. When I got there and 22 years ago, we were 92 percent funded by government and United Way. Mm-hmm. It's now 40 right. on a good year. And we gave nothing back. It's because they just don't have the money. Right. And so – it's been good through COVID because they had the CARES Act money and then the American Rescue Act money, certainly, which has helped out tremendously. Well, we just couldn't have taken the clients without it. I mean, there's just no ifs, ands, or buts. There were a lot of people that got it, but we're now going to have this Medicaid cliff, as it's called, which is happening around the country as we speak. It's going to happen more in central Ohio at the end of the year because our county, County of Franklin, we're in multiple, multiple counties around here, but Franklin, we'll quote them, they've done a great job of supporting us and they're going to support everybody that they've, we've got in service that they can through the end of the year, 40% funded by the government. And, um, but it's, it's coming. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, um, you know, one reason we haven't, to Brett's point again, one reason this hasn't been cured is the funding has been horrible until mm-hmm. recently. If we, d- if we delivered a Title III, which is Older Americans Act, federal meal, and I'm throwing this out so you can Google Older Americans Act, you can Google Title III, it's uh, B, C, D, you'll see the different categories for different things. Uh, if we delivered one meal to one person in, in Franklin County, until recently, we got $3.70. Mm-hmm. And that's with the increased price, with chicken going up 54%. Uh, with unbe- not being able to get everything, uh, we're still up oh, across the board 22% in food cost. And our food, my broccoli is cheaper than your broccoli because mm-hmm. I buy a lot of food. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. And my so food is something that really gets discounted the more you buy because uh, they can store it easier. They know what to carry. It's it's just how it works. And it's something that really comes becomes a lot cheaper with your volume. And uh, it's still, we're still up 22%. The trays, the meals go out in are up. We had two 8% price increases in those in the last year and a half. I mean, and people were like, and I'd ask them, so why did your price go up? Did the materials cost more or whatever? Well, you know, it's just the way the economy is, which means they can, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. We saw this in automobiles. Sure. You know, the discounts went bye-bye. Now they're coming back again, right? right? Right. And people were charging above sticker price on cars and stuff. Now it's coming back down a little bit. So, and I was just reading an article today about eggs. You know, eggs became oh goodness, it was like horrendous. Gold. Yeah, and now they're coming back down. They're dropping. They're going to go back to old levels and things. But you know, these are cycles. But mm-hmm. yeah. the reason it hasn't been cured, Brett, is the funding is so horrible for some of this stuff mm-hmm. that uh, so we're thirty three percent now at our agency, and we're a big agency. And this is, number is the biggest you're going to find in the country. We're thirty three percent of our budget comes from private donations, corporate donations, and grants. And I'm not talking about government grants. I'm talking about corporate grants, things mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. different organizations. And um, fortunately, there's a lot of wonderful um, foundations, private family foundations and stuff out there that have started up over the years that want to give back, and they're trying to give grants out right. and stuff. But uh, but it, the funding for this is horrendous. Horrendous, yeah. Well, you know, the Meals on Wheels is likely the most familiar program that you have. However, it's not just about a meal. 
Um, I'm guessing there are more, many more people receiving meals than we realize, and the service includes more than just dropping off a tray of food. Talk a little bit more about this great program, who's receiving the assistance, the value of staff and the volunteers, and the importance, of course, to the client mm -hmm. in the end. It, it looks to be th that human touch, which is really cool. Well, it is, and that's kind of going away. Um, I hate this. This is one of my favorite topics. Hmm. You'll tell I'll tell you. Um, we actually have for-profit competition these days in Meals on Wheels that have come into the area. Uh, they will not deliver, any of them will not deliver a hot meal. So the way we have always done it is you get a hot meal. Uh, we show up at your house at lunchtime because, you know, in December in Columbus, Ohio, it's dark at four o'clock. Right. Can't see your house number. And it's and frankly, the best time for you to have your big meal is in the middle of the day for digestion, especially mm -hmm. as you age. So that's how the program was started federally. And we, if you use the name Meals on Wheels, let me just say this to you. You're supposed to follow the federal guideline that that meal is at least one third of your daily nutritional requirements. And it's low in fat, sodium and sugar content. So, for example... Every meal that goes out from us is, is almost always the whole meal is under 1,200 milligrams of sodium, which is salt, right? Um, if there is a fast food group that shall remain nameless, they're not headquartered in Columbus, Ohio, so throw Wendy's out of this. They have pretty nice stuff. But they have, if you look on their website, it gives nutritional elements. And if you look at their grilled chicken sandwich, so this is a grilled chicken sandwich, and you dump the mayo or the sauce and so you have grilled chicken on a bun with lettuce and tomato. It's got 2,500 milligrams of sodium. And, and we're, our meals, the whole meal's going out at 1,200. And the reason for that is as the chicken goes down the line of Tyson chicken, they inject it with salt because it's a preservative and makes it taste good. So why mm. wouldn't you? We buy the chicken. It hadn't been injected. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but, but our meals, the point is they're low in fat, sodium, and sugar content. If you choose as a client to put salt on it, it's great. But here's the point. Um, we always delivered the hot meal at lunch, like I was saying, and we still do that with our volunteers and our paid drivers. And then if you qualify for two meals a day, which means you really have no help, and some people get them three days a week, some people get five days a week because you maybe your daughter lives with you and she's home on the weekends and can cook and things like mm -hmm. that. It's how you qualify. So it's you got to qualify. I mean, this is not just giving stuff away. And uh, but a lot gets seven. Uh, we are the last group in the state delivering seven days a week and mm -hmm. weekends and holidays because we feel that's very important. To your point, Brett, we're getting to the point about the touch, the daily mm -hmm. touch. Um, but um, we do hot meals, so they bring out the hot meal at lunch. If you qualify for a second meal, it's a deli-style cold meal. They put it in your fridge. All you do at night is take it out, eat it. You don't have to touch it. It's a salad. It's a sandwich, whatever mm -hmm. it might be, side dishes, all healthy stuff, but tasting good too. Um you know, meatloaf is always top on the hit parade for us, and uh, and hey, things like that. It, it, yeah. it would be mine too. And lasagna and spaghetti oh, and meatballs yeah. and things bad. like that. Be and uh, we now have a cheese omelet though that's hit number one on the Ooh, hit parade. Believe it or not. But the point is, you get that hot meal. You don't have to do anything. And mm -hmm. as you age, maybe you get a little forgetful. And we find people all the time. Our route sheets, if you're a volunteer delivering for us, they have the client's phone number on it, because sometimes people fall asleep in the chair, just watching television, right? Mm -hmm. I know I fall asleep in chairs sometimes <laughs> watching television. And so they do that, so they gotta be called and things like that. But my point is we don't really want people using their ovens mm -hmm. 
as they age and get a little more forgetful. Sure. Uh, I would tell you recently, we did this survey a few years ago, but not that long ago, 15% of our clients on the meal in Franklin County did not have a microwave oven they could use. Two parts to that sentence. Didn't have a microwave oven, couldn't use it. My mom at the end with her Alzheimer's had this microwave oven I bought her for some stupid amount of money that had all these buttons and they were using they were heating up their coffee 12 times a day and having popcorn it was great and she stopped using it and we started seeing post-it notes on it. I said, "So what what why aren't you using it like you used to?" And she says, "Well, it's kind of complicated." It's got all these buttons on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't, how many 90 year olds have a smartphone? Right. And uh, so they don't have the, the, that capacity. So the hot meal means something. The second thing is if you're getting a hot meal, one of our volunteers or paid drivers is showing up at your door at lunchtime every day, knocking on your door. And besides giving you the meal, they're talking to you for a few minutes before they go on and they're saying, they all say, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. And some of the clients, they know, we see, we get incident reports that I see all of them. All the time that, well, they found Joe on the floor. Uh, Joe's comment is always the same. If my kids fell out, find uh, he might be fine. He just couldn't get up. Mm-hmm. If my kids find out I fell, they'll put me in a home. That's always the comment. It's always what they say. I'm not making this stuff up. We find people in distress. Well, my chest really hurts, but I don't think I should do anything about it. <laughs> you know, you hear these things or you go in these houses a 90-degree day and the house is horrendous or in the wintertime, cold. They set their thermostats at 60 because that's what they can afford, but they're happy there, okay? But every day somebody's looking at you saying, how you doing? Well, what happened a few years ago because they wanted to have more choice, uh, at least the, prov- the funders did, is they went also to frozen meals. So some of our for-profit uh, folks had come in and do them, and I'm not being totally negative about them, but they do only frozens, which get delivered once a week. And uh, what's happened lately that I think is the most horrendous thing I've ever heard of is they're drop shipping these things. Hmm. So you are an elderly person who doesn't move well, who probably doesn't go out on the porch because it's got a step and you're afraid you're going to fall. And here comes the box from the delivery company. And it's we, we tried this a few weeks ago. We ordered one. It was a 28-pound box of food. So oh first of all, goodness. does your freezer hold a week? A week of two meals a day is 14 meals or 14 mm-hmm. meals if they – a lot of them are delivering once every two weeks. So does your freezer hold 14 meals plus milks or juices plus fruits? Do your bananas wait? and Are they still good after 14 days? No. And things like that. The person can't handle it. They can't pick up a 28-pound no. box. We take it into the house. So it's important. But that touch every day. You know, if you're the daughter or that you're the son, Brett, and you live in Kansas, but mom's here and you're on our service, you know one of our people is in that house every day for a few minutes. How you doing? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, the stories, stories, stories. People tell us we've saved their lives. We hear this constantly. And we're not patting ourselves on the back, but but that's part of the deal. But now it's gotten commercialized, and oh, can we just drop ship meals? And gee, we'll make a dollar off this. But you know, we had a for-profit uh, pers- uh, company just uh, give everybody thirty days notices. We do Marion County too. Mm. In Marion, they gave everybody all their clients thirty days notice. You are required if you have a meal client. If you're not going to keep servicing them, you have to give them a physical letter to address to them thirty days notice. They gave everybody thirty days notice. Hey, can't do it anymore. We're not making any money. Yeah. Well, what a surprise. This is not a right. money-making deal. McDonald's does not deliver to your house 
for four dollars. Right. And right. I don't know what you would get for McDonald's. Nothing against McDonald's for them, but I mean they can't do it. No. For no. what we're getting paid and stuff, so that's why we need volunteers, and that's why it was developed this way. And meals, I'll give you a bar trivia here, so you can be <laughs> really smartest person in the room. <laughs> meals on Wheels really the concept was developed in London, England during the Second World War because the Germans were bond- bombing London and the seniors didn't leave because they had nowhere to go. Right. And so they came up with this idea, let's take food into them. And so the government of the United States under the Older Americans Act, when Johnson was president in the 60s, said, oh, let's – the survey said, let's try that. And it worked. Yeah. So that's it, that's the deal. Going back to, mm. to Brett's question, what, what you've mentioned is when there's a critical issue – somebody's sick, somebody's fallen or whatever. But over and above that, having somebody there in the house saying hello to you every day, it's that notion of loneliness, of isolation. And just that little tiny bit may be what keeps that person going. Oh, there's no question. Every survey says that. And one of the weird things we do that people may not be aware of, this the number one program that Meals on, and we're local, we report to a local board, Everybody, Meals on Wheels does not have a national controlling organization. It just happens to be a well-known brand. One of the unusual programs that people don't even know we do, um, and it's the number one program requested by Meals on Wheels organizations in the country, they all want to start it, is pet care. Mm. So you're saying, what yeah. in God's name is that? Pardon right. my, for, uh, using God's name in vain there. But, but the point is this, people give part of their meal to the pet to keep it <coughs> because they're to the point they can't carry the 50 pound bag of dog food out of the store. Right. They can't afford to take it to the vet or get it to the vet. But that pet, I always like to say the pet is the social worker, mm-hmm. the depression counselor and the security device in the home. Mm-hmm. And I have stories to back this up. We don't have time today, but I have stories to back all those up. And so the pet has to be saved. So what we do is we get donated product uh, when we started this, you started it with no money. You copied it off San Diego, but there's only about seven to eight major cities right now in the country doing a major pet care program. We could be the, one of the largest. Again, we're, we have 1,200 pets right now. Wow. We have 18, 18 routes on the weekends that do nothing but deliver pet food. It's not people food, just the pet food. And the pet food, most of it comes from Walmart. It used to be thrown away into a landfill because of code dates and stuff. But this is all within code date. And now Amazon has just joined in and a couple other folks, the IAMS folks, the CalCan folks help, but a lot of it's – you got to give Walmart a lot of credit, let me tell you, for this. We probably have eight to ten pallets, large pallets of bags of dog food and cat food in my warehouse. But you got to have a separate room for it because it's got to stay away from the people food and it can attract critters and bugs and stuff. you got to be very careful with it. And a lot of the bags are broken. Walmart actually goes to, and I'm not here to boost Walmart, but they're they're almost semi-saint-like people over there, and they appreciate what we do with it. If if the fork truck hits the bag and breaks the bag, they will duct tape together the bag, throw it on a pallet, and deliver it to us. Fabulous. And we are getting this out. It gets rebagged into bags people can use, and, and it allows the person to keep the pet. And you shouldn't give your Salisbury steak to the cat, it's bad for both. You need to be eating it if we're giving you the food and the cat doesn't eat Salisbury steak. And and so pet food is a huge thing. It's the number one requested program around the country. People are trying to start it. They just don't have the space. They don't have the 
where the manpower and stuff. I mean, we were lucky to have a warehouse on the west side that, that controls all this stuff and stores it. But pets are everything to these people. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right, right. So, going so, back to that notion of isolation. So you want right. to stay in your own home, it's nutrition, exercise, and, I, and the Gehring study, which is totally unofficial, <laughs> is third is pets. <laughs> third is pets. Wow. Uh, that so, dog but, but or it, cat but, is but amazing. But it's logical if you think about it. It, it doesn't even need a study, if yeah. you, think, you know. And it, yeah. so the gearing study is official. Absolutely. I mean, you, you, come on, we're, it's, we're, we're naming it official. It's, it's official. official for our. I mean, come on, it's, well, it's, it's one, common one sense. One quickie story. One quickie story. I'll get at this very quick. This woman had she took her hearing aids out every night to go to bed. She was by herself. Had one cat, and uh, had left the oven on with something on the top on the stove, and just forgot about it. You know, it fell mm-hmm. asleep. Was elderly. And wakes up a couple hours later, and the cat is literally standing. And I know you can't see me because this is podcast, but the feet are on her head, on her face. Mm-hmm. So if the cat could talk, the cat was saying, "If you want to die, fine, but you're getting me out of here." <laughs> okay. And but she woke up because the cat's on her. It's a true story. Sure. On her face, <laughs> sees the smoke, and gets out. Calls you know nine one one. Had a flip phone. And got the cat and her out. And had she just stayed asleep, she would have died. Mm-hmm. That cat saved her life. Yeah. And she she said that to us about a million times. The cat saved my life. And we, but even we got a little blind guy on the west side who um, shouldn't describe him like that. He's a lovely man, but he's got three mixed breed dogs, and they are very mixed breed little dogs. They are not trained in anything. He gets up to come to the door because I take food out to him once in a while. He has, uh, he has his door open, but he has a screen door. And you see, when he gets up out of the chair to come to the door, these three dogs get on either side of the legs like guardrails and walk with him to that door. Mm-hmm. They've, they're not pilot dogs. They've never been trained, but they know what's going on. They know what he needs. So he's, he's, yeah. he's, he's, they're their pack. Yeah, it's so, a pack. Yeah, so there are exactly. many ways to, we're very blessed here in central uh, Ohio again in that we've got 18 routes on weekends delivering to 1,200 pets to allow the people to keep, and we pay a little bit of vet bills too. Wonderful. So it's, yeah. But you so, got to do it. So there's another program that I love that um, I, I want to talk about. It's sort of a, I don't want to say it's an offshoot of Meals on Wheels, but it's a, another look at, um, meals with your friends. So you have Carrie's Cafe, and mm-hmm. you had also mentioned that there are congregate settings at different areas. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to volunteer for one of our other um, senior facilities up in Delaware County. I have to give it a shout out, shout out to Source Point. That's yep. my my neighborhood. Yep. And um, so I used to go and have lunch. Yeah. So tell us about Carrie's Cafe, which is named after <laughs> Carrie Black. We actually have about 25 right now. I think we just are opening our 26th dining center. They're generally in places where people uh, live, but ours is in our building, and we will transport people into it. But it provides not only the meal, but socialization. Mm -hmm. So they're doing activities, but they're meeting people. I mean, they're exchanging phone numbers, and they're calling each other at night. I mean, it gives them a life right? and things like that. So it's a very important thing, and it is part of that. But I, I was talking to a major city that had 22 dining centers. This is a West Coast major city, shall remain nameless. And uh, they had 22 dining centers. And the executive director was saying to me, well, we've decided that when COVID gets done, we're just not opening them back up because they're too tough to run. Mm -hmm. They cost a lot of money. Well, yeah. 
Yesterday at our place, we had the we had our client fashion show, which we do twice a year. We have other things, um, and some of the clients were modeling, and it was it's just the greatest thing you've ever seen. And uh, we you know we can hold three hundred people to four hundred people in our place, and uh, we're very blessed to have that. But these congregate dining facilities are very important. And actually, we actually here, which is an unusual thing, we have the oldest Asian feeding program in the country. Dr. Young Chen Liu, uh, emeritus professor of statistics at Ohio State University, uh, started this thing years ago, and he works a lot on the, the Asian festival here in town, has. But uh, they started this program 27 years ago, so we actually use a couple of Asian restaurants here in town where the people can go, and sometimes we transport them in and get a very traditional meal. Fabulous. Like seaweed soup or something like that, mm-hmm. that very traditional, so they can think about what, right. what they used to get. Mm-hmm. And we also operate with uh, a few Somali restaurants here in town because we have a lot of Somali immigrants, as you know. But again, these programs, let me just say this for the 84th time. If you go, don't think that this occurs in every city in the country. I get people call me all the time. Well, who's you, Garing, in this city? Right. It doesn't exist. They There might be pieces of programs. There might be a Meals on Wheels program that's going to tell you, hey, it's five bucks a meal. And what we tell people, the Area Agency on Agings, mm-hmm. there is one of those established by the government with the Older Americans Act, wonderful people. There's one of those for every county in the country. Now, ours here in Franklin is down on South High Street, but it covers Franklin, all counties touching Franklin. But they have people you can Google. If you're mm-hmm. one of the kids listening to this and you've got parents aging, you Google Area Agency on Aging, dash, right. whatever, right. city, right. and they've got people that will sit on the phone with you and tell you what's available in that location. Right. And that's very important because if mom's somewhere else, you might have to bring mom to central Ohio to get more services. Mm-hmm. There right. might not be services where mom is or ones that they get. And we started a program called, uh, I wrote something called How to Take Care of Mom and Dad years ago, and we've done that for 150 places. I mean, it's all major corporations, churches, whatever. And it's, what do you do now to get ready for this? You know, I think that um, that is really what we try to get across here on the podcast. You don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And here are our experts to tell you not only what's going on in central Ohio, but to make sure that we provide the resources for around the country. So we will do that on our show notes when we post this this episode and talk about who you know okay so you live in in um colorado who do you call well and here here are the websites that'll tell you and hear what's available there right right and i always tell you if you're going to move mom and dad here to be close to you check out the county because the counties even around central Ohio don't all do the same thing. They don't all have, like we have the help at home program, which is homemakers who go in and actually clean, do laundry, mm-hmm. home health aides are bathing you. That program exists, but most of the time it's 24 to $34 an hour for right. that service. We can provide it for free if you qualify right. from an income and a need standpoint. And that doesn't exist in other places. So you got to check out where you're going to move mom and dad to and you know, I get all those calls all the time. But what we do at How to Take Care of Mom and Dad in this this program I wrote, it's a lunch and learn type of thing. But it's um, it, it, very simply, it's what can you do now? Mm-hmm. And do you know where your parents' assets are? Do you know where the paperwork is? Do you know, do they even have a will? Do you blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera? Because they always have those lists on TV. 
and in the newspaper and stuff that said, here's the 10 most stressful things in a person's life. And they're things like getting married or divorce or job change or moving. Well, I think number one is gotta be your parents just fell or yeah. you just found out that mom doesn't remember anything. Right. And I just think that is the most stressful thing ever. And I've, I've got 20, almost 30,000 clients with it, but I've got a mom and a dad. I had a mom and a dad until they passed away that went through this and we went right. through it with their dementia. And I'll tell you, you gotta, if you want to cut your stress, figure out now what you can do. How can I prepare now? Where does dad keep the, the will and the house deed? Mm -hmm. Does he have a DD-214, which is discharge papers, because you can get a lot of veterans benefits. Get all that stuff organized now, uh, and it will really cut your stress down. I mean, incredible right. stress cut. Maybe we'll right. do another podcast on that someday. Well, yes. and actually, yeah. we have a podcast with one of our local lawyers that does elder law, and there we'll you get go. you guys together. Yeah. Um, and we've good, talked about that. Be a good and, one to do. Yeah. Well, and, and Chuck, too, that's how I sort of got into aging services mm -hmm. is taking care of my parents. So, you know, I think when when you've been through it, it listen to the people who have been through it. They're going to give you some really good tips. So, yeah. Yep. yeah. So, Life Care Alliance has taken on some new programs over the years. We touched upon it a little bit earlier in the podcast, expanding your mission and geographic location, of course, too. So, talk about the other programs and the gosh, the seniors, uh, senior farm markers, yeah. uh, CODA, yeah. wellness programs. My gosh, let's talk about that. Well, what we do, and we've always done this, at least the last couple decades, is we look at the client and say, what do we need to do for you to solve the ultimate uh, goal of Life Care Alliance, which is to keep you independent in your own home for as long as you are? What do you need to accomplish that? Well, you need a meal. Maybe you need a nurse once in a while. Maybe you need something else. So we've taken on some other agencies uh, to save money, basically to get more um, services to more people at less cost. Because, again, there's only one building. There's only one accounting department, things like that. But the point is these were all services that the clients needed. So um, With every program you added, when I heard it in the news, it, it, it made sense. Well, knowing the mission, so yeah, well, that makes sense. The that number one diagnosis yeah. of the meal clients is yeah. diabetes. Yeah. And you just – half the clients, half the meal clients have type 2. Type 1, you know, you get as a, a young person, usually you're insulin dependent. Mm -hmm. Then type 2, you get naturally as you age because you're not exercising, you're eating poorly, things like that. Uh, so the, half the clients have type 2. So over the years, we'd call people, hey, can you come out and counsel people? No, don't have the resources for it, et cetera, et cetera. So when Central Ohio Diabetes, back uh, around 2016, 2017, they were having some financial problems and said, we're not a big agency. We ought to merge with somebody. They knew we were interested. They looked around and ended up with us. Well, now we've got all their people stayed, basically, and they're counseling our people, and they're having tremendous success at getting people off the drugs. Hmm. Like, you know, if you get type 2, the first thing you watch all these, and please don't run to the store to get Ozempic tonight and things like that because you're not going to find it anyway. It's not weight loss magic, but it's not out there right now because people found it's weight. It can help you lose weight, but... It helps with type 2 diabetes and things like that. But the first thing they usually do is put you on metformin, which is this little $4 drug pill you take. And uh, But the way we stay off waiting lists is oftentimes, as we tell people, is we prevent you from needing us. So our work, especially a lot of our nurses' work, our dietitians' work, is to keep you educated and help you through whatever you've got and keep you off 
the pills and off type two diabetes, et cetera, et cetera, so that you don't need us. So our dietitians are counseling, a couple dietitians are counseling like 120 people a month on average, and they're getting people healthier. And it's not rocket science sometimes. It's just, you know, but my mom and dad, you know, we had meat and potatoes every night, right? Uh, We didn't know any different. But, you know, you can't have pie every night. You can't do this. You, and if you're sitting watching TV, do leg lifts while you're sitting in the Barker lounger. There's little things like that that make humongous difference. So all these additions we did were designed to ultimately solve the mission of the agency, which is keep you independent in your own home and really prevent you from needing us. And that keeps our numbers down and keeps you off waiting lists. And I'm very proud. I think our people should get, get medals They've done a fabulous job over the years of keeping people healthier and not even needing our services. Maybe they thought they needed our services, but with a month of help, maybe they suddenly didn't need our services anymore. They could take care of themselves. So yeah. all this stuff is designed and taken on just for that. The well, farmer's market well, is yeah, to get, you, you empower your clients, which yeah, is great. Yeah, yeah. Farmer's market is to just get access to uh, healthy produce in the summertime. Mm-hmm. Uh, the wellness programs, of course, and uh uh, impact safety helps with domestic violence and safety issues, which 30% of seniors have, and we could never figure out how to address that. So mm-hmm. so staffing your programs, and you've got either paid staff or volunteers, has to be a continual challenge, especially, well, COVID, I'm sure, was major, but at the same time, now we're kind of coming out of that. Um, but, you know, tell us about your great staff. I, you're volunteer-driven. You've talked about this already. Um, what do you do to retain a good staff, and, and what's the role of volunteers? Well, uh, retaining the staff, you try to be professional with them and respect them and treat them nice and pay them a decent wage. Um, One of the reasons we lost money as an agency last year is we've been raising wages to the point that, especially amongst the hourly folks who are lower paid, um, maybe in food production or maybe in the help at home uh, realm and things like that, uh, we've had to really increase pay to be competitive. But we're happy to, and they've hung around. And they realize, we try to remind them often that, uh, you know, this is not working for company X. When you go home at night, you will have changed somebody's life. Mm -hmm. And there is no, we get story after story, day after day about people calling us saying, boy, I just don't know what I would have done without you and something like that. So we try to do the best we can. Our senior staff, especially, who are the leaders of our agency, have really hung around during COVID. And it was tough because everybody was pretty tired. Yeah. And I mean, we've worked hard. I have never worked this hard in for three years in my life. And I've, I've been working for 40 some years now. I mean, it's never been like this, but we're uh, getting it done and people are staying because they see the outcome and they see what they're doing. And But we try to be as competitive as we can. Do we pay as much as everybody else? No, but we are close. The role of volunteers is if we didn't have our volunteers, we you wouldn't be talking to me. I would be fired, and we would be out of business. <laughs> um, we would we have about two hundred and forty staff, uh, about half are full time, half are part time to do all this stuff. The rest, if we didn't, ha- if we had to hire people though to deliver the meals, then take over for the volunteers, we'd have to have twelve to fourteen hundred people, which means we'd be gone. Right. We couldn't afford it. And the Meals on Wheels program especially was designed to be delivered by a volunteer. We can train you in 20 minutes and out you go. And it's fun and you can take your kids with you and the dog can be in the car as long as you keep it away from the bags of food and stuff like that. And people have a great time with it. And uh, But the volunteers are just, uh, we would be out of business. Hmm. With It just doesn't work. So we do Champaign-Logan counties. 
Champaign has Urbana, and at Logan has Bell Fountain. Mm-hmm. It's just northwest of here, basically, those two counties. In 2014, the agency that run that uh, for years, in, on a Wednesday, the executive director called their board chair and said, we can't make payroll Friday. They shut down and went broke. They had nothing. The clients were calling the police department. This is why the Bell Fountain Police Department has a route as volunteers. They go out in the uniforms with the guns and the whole thing and the cars and they deliver meals because they got called during this time and said, well, if I give you 20 bucks, can you go to Kroger's? And, you know, this? it's not what they do. Yeah. I mean, they couldn't do that, but they, the people didn't know what to do because this agency had gone broke. And mm-hmm. we see this all across the country. One out of six meals on wheels groups in the country has gone broke in the last 10 years. And it's the numbers growing quickly. So we were asked by the state, could you take it over? We did. And we've uh, helped Champaign Logan ever since. But let me give you the numbers. So they were buying. They didn't make their own meals because they didn't have a way. They didn't have a kitchen. you got to have an industrial kitchen. you got to have volume to do this stuff. And they were buying the meals from a restaurant. They were fine meals, but they were paying the restaurant about 4 bucks a meal at the time back in 2014. They were getting reimbursed by the government 4 bucks a meal. You were already at zero. Mm-hmm. Then they didn't have volunteer coordinators and things like that, and they thought volunteers were hard to get, so they used all paid drivers. You're now in the hole. They got grants to buy cars. Great, but then you had to change the oil and buy gas. Farther in the hole. Do we see why they went broke? Right. And if you're not using – we've got this model we talk about. If you're not using volunteers, if you're not fundraising independently, 33% of our money comes from private and corporate and mm-hmm. donations and grants – you're not fundraising. You've got to have a little money in the bank. You've got to do things like social enterprise, like we have a catering mm-hmm. company to bring in money to the agency. I don't get the profits. It goes to pay for people and things like that. That's And these mergers, that if you're doing those things, you're, you can, you're good. If you're not, you're dead mm-hmm. as an agency. So the volunteers are everything. And Champaign and Logan, because they didn't have any volunteers, um, frankly, is why they went out of business. Right. And if we didn't have volunteers, you wouldn't be talking to me. Right, right. So I also have to give a shout out to the Life Care Alliance board, mm-hmm. who are volunteers, because my cousin's on the board. Who's that? Earl Levere. Oh, gosh, yes, I know that. Yes, and and who's, and Earl Levere's mother is also Carol another Ventres. Carol Ventresca. Oh, that <laughs> has so the same name. I have, to, I have to give a shout out to Earl, and I can't wait to send him the link to this to tell him that I talked about him. But but again, <laughs> he's you know, our board treasurer. Ex- I saw that. And a large attorney in town. He's yes. a big time, uh, not large physically, but a big time attorney in town, and he's yes. very helpful and been on our board for a long time. And is, yes. uh, I just talked to him yesterday, and he's very helpful to us. Yes, he is. He's a wonderful, wonderful person. Um, and, but as with boards, they're critical in, in oh, the God. structure of a nonprofit. Oh, so wow. for our listeners, um, maybe volunteering as a Meals on Wheels driver is not an opportunity, but your local nonprofit may need critical board members. Oh, so always absolutely. keep that in mind. Or committee members or whatever. Exactly. And things like that. And it's, it's just a uh, yeah, call. And if you don't get an immediate Boy, I got an opening for you because sometimes we don't have openings, but you right. know we'll get to you. Trust me, and there's something you can be doing. Right, like our the front desk at our cancer clinic is run, which is when you come in by volunteers, and basically you come in. Here comes the client. It's like well, I need you to fill out these three sheets of paper. You're at a cancer clinic. You know, right. you might have a screening or something with a professional, so you need to fill out something, and they handle that kind of stuff. And we have volunteers that run the dining centers. We have. 
volunteers everywhere, the, uh, the majority of them by far are in Meals on Wheels. Well, and for all of those job seekers right. out there, yeah. volunteering is an incredible way to gain um, some experience that you may not have had before yeah. or yeah. hone some skills or update your skills. So yeah. and consider we, that. And we see some boards that are really asleep at the wheel. It's really, it's not about your resume. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. about, do you really want to help and provide advice? And by the same token, if you have a, an executive director like me and I'm telling you, well, I don't really need to listen to you or I don't need your advice. Don't worry mm-hmm. about it. We got it handled. Probably find somebody new right. for that job. Uh, right. Champagne Logan that I just talked about a minute ago, let me, that quick story is the Dayton paper, because they're out there that way, and they followed up with the board chair, who was a business guy, and just kept asking him, well, how did you not know you were going to go broke this week? Because it was Wednesday, they found out they couldn't make payroll on Friday. How did you not know? He finally says, this is the board chair, and I'm sure it was embarrassing to him, well, we hadn't seen financial statements in 18 months. If if my board did not see financial statements for eighteen months, you wouldn't. I would have been gone after two months. <laughs> oh my okay? gosh! Yes. Right. And I mean, as board members, they need people who have those skill sets, and you don't have to be, you know, number one is CPA to figure out the financial statements. A lot of them are very simplistic, especially smaller groups. With so smaller right. groups, need you badly, and they just need your brain power. You know, right. boards are. Uh, more than just giving money to the organization, we need, I always tell the board members, we need your brains. Right. And we try to throw at the meetings into discussion topics and try to throw things at them and say, you know, what do you think about this? Mm-hmm. What would right. you do? And well, and you get good responses. Exactly. And that goes right into my next question. What are the future plans? What's Life Care Alliance got kind of in the, in the uh, trenches and working towards for well, a new goal. Well, staying in business was always a good one <laughs> for another 125 years. We're 125 <laughs> years old. But what's going to happen in 2023 is um, it's, you're going to see it around the country before you see it here, but you're going to see it here at the end of the year, this Medicaid cliff. Mm-hmm. So when President Biden announced on May 11th that the COVID is no longer a national health emergency, that triggered in Medicaid, and you know there's Medicare folks which is the insurance for seniors, but then there's Medicaid that covers people who are basically low assets, poor people, um, that triggers in Medicaid that you had to get reauthorized because what they did during COVID, they kind of opened it up a little more and took in some people that maybe were on the border, Mm -hmm. maybe wouldn't have qualified, but now because of COVID, they couldn't get out. They lost their supports. They needed the help. Well, now it's coming back to reauthorizing you and seeing how you are, because we have to reassess clients depending on the funding source at least every six months and sometimes every three months. And because people get better if mm-hmm. they're on our meals mm-hmm. and they learn how to cook for themselves, they might not need us after so many months. And we see that, especially with hospital patients all the time, right. they come out of the hospital, they might be with us for eight to 20 weeks and then they don't need us anymore. So that's great. And um, uh, so this COVID cliff is happening. So I we had a lot of people in for an event yesterday and clients and I was talking to some of them and I said from the stage, I went up at the end and I said, remember, if you're getting Medicaid, you have 90, you have till August 7th to re or August 9th, I think to reauthorize yourself in Medicaid. And I got more questions after that. Well, how do I do that? Well, how does that work? Mm -hmm. And I said, do you have somebody, they all have case managers. They all have somebody they talk to in the Medicaid office. You need to call them. 
and get reauthorized. It's not automatic, and frankly, the volume is too great. They're not going to get to everybody because on August, in that second week of August, you're going to get cut if you're not reauthorized, and they don't know maybe you don't need it anymore. And, and I think we all want in the country, we hear about this all the time, hey, if you don't need the services, it's not welfare, let's get off of them, right? right. And sometimes people do get better, especially people that had temporary issues. And I hate to call cancer a temporary issue, but cancer is something, if you get through the treatments, OSU and Ohio Health can fix a lot of stuff anymore. Yeah. And, and you know, you get through your four to six months of cancer treatments, maybe you're good then. And mm -hmm. off you run, well, you don't need us anymore. Right. So you don't need those services um, and things like that, or rents paid or utilities paid. So this cliff is coming. You're going to see it around the country. You're going to see people, and there was money that came out through the American Rescue Act and CARES money, to, and we had some of it, to pay rents and utilities for people. That stopped. That's stopping after this year. I can tell you here in Frank, there just didn't any more money coming out. So people suddenly are going to have to cover all these costs. Uh, good luck. Right. What's mm -hmm. changed for them? Now, maybe they've got a job at a good employer that suddenly is paying them more money, and they're making a nice wage now, and they're good. But maybe they're not. Right. And mm -hmm. with rent having taken uh, huge leaps. And utility and prices just, go yeah. up. I mean, everything costs more. Right. So, right. Uh, and, you know, they're not buying as nutritious a food maybe at the grocery store because it costs more. So they buy something cheaper that's, you know. Right. Yeah. You yeah. can't all be college students living off ramen noodles, right? <laughs> right, exactly. And, exactly. Uh, yeah. and uh, you know, we did that because we were 20 years old. You know, when you're 80, it's not the same deal. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so you got to have this. So you're going to see this cliff coming. So that's the near term. Got to happen. Long term is endowment from my perspective. We've done an endowment campaign recently and been able to put a little bit of money in the bank. We are not, taught, we are not Ohio State University, and they're wonderful people. I'm a grad. But we, are, we don't have an endowment like they have. We have a few bucks in the bank, but you've got to have some bucks in the bank to be able to take these extra people mm -hmm. as we go forward. So long-term, we'd like to build that up and uh, just make sure, you know, I'm not going to be around forever. And, um, uh, you know, not that I'm anything to write home about anyway, and they probably want to get rid of me, but... <laughs> You know, I'm not going to be around forever. We've got to make sure we're set up for the future. We've got the right staff there to, to manage. The, this is a complicated company. Let me just tell you, I've worked in for-profits. This is about the most complicated place. I work for Anheuser-Busch, and this is a more complicated place, I think, Absolutely. a lot of days than Anheuser-Busch. And, and it's just a lot of tentacles out there, a lot of different uh, geographic areas, a lot of different needs. Um and it's a complicated deal, and we've got to make sure. And we've talked about this in Columbus. We have a group of some of the larger agency leaders who get together every couple of months. Mm -hmm. And the big thing we're talking about is how are we training the next generation? If you've noticed, when the person retires, they often hire outside the agency. Why don't we have people inside that can be trained to take over these jobs and properly trained and off you run. Right. And so there's a lot of work to be done in that area. It's all stabilization <laughs> stuff and sustainability is the word we hear all the time is how can we, are these programs we have sustainable? And right. if they're not, some agencies are saying, well, we can't keep them anymore. Well, and I, I you know, I've, I've been in private industry. I worked for government. I worked for the university and for nonprofit. And I have to say, 
nonprofit work is the hardest, but the most fulfilling in terms of knowing yeah, that every yeah. day you make a difference in your world. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that we've looked at is uh, in, a, in the aging agencies is how do we convince young people that going into an aging career path is a good idea? And, and something wow. that they can really make a great career with. Well, it, it's interesting, the modern generation, and I've got four kids and 10 grandkids. Right. And that are, that are The oldest grandkids just 11, though, so they've got a ways to go. But I am encouraged by kids in school nowadays. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of kids, we hear about the bad stuff, but there's a lot of kids that really want to make a difference. Mm-hmm. They really mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. You know, and my father's the way he made a difference. He got he went into the army and fought in the Second World War. I mean, that was their contribution. Right. Hopefully, we don't have that. Right. But there's a lot of kids that are looking, and kids. I mean, people 25 and under. Really, I mean, they're, pardon me for calling you a kid, but. Um, there's a lot of people out there looking for something different in their life. They want to make a difference. And we are, you know, you're not going to be the wealthiest person in the world, but we pay competitive wages. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I hire an accountant tomorrow, I've got to pay a reasonable amount or nobody going to come. Right. So it's, um, there are ways out there to help and it's worth exploring. I mean, I never thought I'd be sitting in this chair ever, but 22 years of this at Life Care Alliance and I can't. I am so honored and privileged to do this job every day, and I'm just lucky. I work very hard at it because I don't want to mess it up, and because uh, there's too many people counting on us, and we are. But if you're out there, you can make a huge, huge difference right. as a young person. Whether it's maybe you just volunteer, maybe one Saturday a month you go out and deliver meals or something. Mm. I mean that makes a difference because we package you together with a whole lot of other people, and good stuff happens. So there's a lot of people looking though for jobs in that in our world now, and I think that's great and. Uh, Hopefully they'll continue to come out and do it. Right, right. I think he just gave us our words of wisdom right there. <laughs> I don't know. Chuck may have more words he might, of wisdom. But what do you want to leave anything, us with? Anything else you want to make sure our audience remembers from well, today? Well, if you're here and if you're listening in Central Ohio, um, know that Life Care Alliance is here to help you. If you're somewhere else, call your area agency on aging and get ahead of the problem. You know, if you've got parents or even for yourself. For yourself, you need to get prepared for this. Unfortunately, we're all going to die. We're all getting old and we're all going to die someday, which I know is a real downer to end this on. But you've got to prepare for this and you got to let people know what's going on and get your paperwork in order and get your plans in order. Let people know what you want and, and figure that out and start planning. It's more than buying a long-term care policy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those are expensive anyway. It's how do I... And I know we all are trying to retire early and things like that, but you know you can make such an incredible difference in your community. I am not a. I could not go to Africa and be in the bush and help people in darkest, poorest Africa. I just couldn't do that. I don't think. But I'm able to do this, mm-hmm. and I, I, the saints that are doing that work right now is a whole other story. But. Uh, I can't go to some third world country, and we're not asking you to do that necessarily. You can do something in your town or area to in the third world countries. Trust me, they need a lot of help too. But you know, you can just go in your town and deliver a meal on wheel on a Saturday. I mean, it's not rocket science. It's not hard, but you will change somebody's life. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Chuck, thank you. We can't thank you enough for this wonderful conversation. Um, Listeners, uh, you know, this has um, been an amazing experience. 
Make sure that you check the website. When we publish this episode, you are going to have resources locally and nationally that you'll be able to use in your particular area. But first, let's thanks our, to our guest, Chuck Gehring, who is the president and CEO of Life Care Alliance, for joining us today. Um, listeners, thank you for joining us. Don't forget to check the website for show notes at lookingforwardourway.com. It'll give you all the information and resources that we discussed today. And we're looking forward to hearing your feedback on this episode and all of our episodes.